Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons, my son. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness." All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would illumine this passage by your Holy Spirit, that we would have understanding, that you would help us to be those who, who hear your word and do it. Lord, I pray that we would remember that you are our good Father, Father, that you discipline us for our good, and Lord, that, that uh, yes, it may seem sorrowful, but it is for our building up, and it, is, and it comes from your love. So, Father, I pray as we look at this passage that these things would be imprinted upon us by your Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> so, essentially, tonight I want to talk about the fatherhood of God. Um, The fatherhood of God, you know, there's always this debate in the church for some reason about who is the neglected one of the the three persons of the Trinity. And uh, usually in Reformed churches, we like to say it's the Holy Spirit, but it's probably the Father, given that our culture is um, dead set against fathers. And um, we have a tendency just to think of God the Father as the whole of God rather than one of the persons of the Trinity. Yes, he is the whole of God, but he is also distinct from the Son and the Holy Spirit. We could go to Ephesians three fourteen through 15, and we could talk about the archetypal fatherhood of God from that passage. He's the father from whom all fatherhood derives its name. 
We could go to Malachi and the very end of Malachi that we haven't gotten to yet. The goal of the ministry of the forerunner of Jesus Christ was to turn the hearts of the fathers to their sons and the hearts of sons to their fathers. We could go to Romans 5 and talk about federal headship. As the, as the father goes, so goes the son. Um, and, um, and yet, I want to I look at this passage which is, um, has to do with discipline and God loving us through discipline. So <clears throat> the first point is this. The, the Heavenly Father has sons, which is one of the obvious points that you should make out of this passage. But it needs to be said. It's obvious to the point of stupidity, but it's worth stating and explaining all those who are called into God's family, called into the family where he is the head, where he is the father, all of them are called sons. All of them are called sons. Whether male or female, all are called sons because all receive the inheritance of the firstborn son, right? The right of primogenitor. Jesus Christ is the only son of the Lord in a certain sense. He is the only eternal eternally begotten Son of God, eternally having dwelt with the Father, but there are adopted sons in the household of the Heavenly Father. Such are you if you're in Jesus Christ. You are a son of the Heavenly Father. You have entered into a relationship. You've entered into a glorious, loving, wonderful, peaceful, protected household. Right? And the glories of, of heaven where the Father's throne is placed will be your eternal home, eternally dwelling in the Father's home. The Father's love will bless your thoughts and your life eternally. The Father's protection and power will care for you. The Father's protection and power will, will cast out your fears, fear that may preoccupy your thoughts often in this life. Fears, you know, that, and... Um, the fears that plague us, the Father will comfort us. The Father's holiness will be yours, and you will dwell in sinlessness without pride, without rivalry, without lust, without hatred eternally. But until that point when we have been deeded our full spiritual inheritance, the Father relates to us in a special way, and this is the second point. The Heavenly Father disciplines his sons, and we are not to regard it lightly. All those things I mentioned would be part of our final resting place. God begins to work in us on this side of eternity, on this side of death. He disciplines us so that we might grow in our holiness. Now, how does the Father discipline us? He makes our bank account balance go down to zero two weeks before the next paycheck. Right? And, and then commands us to trust him to provide. Right? He makes us rich and, and then commands us to be generous toward others. Right? He gives and gives and then he says, give it away. Right? He makes us hurt through disease. He commands us to pray to him then for healing. He commands us to come to him for healing. He makes us healthy. And then he commands us to use our energy to serve others, right? To be selfless. He gives us health so that we might be selfless, which is no easy thing 
and takes great self-discipline. He makes us lose our jobs and commands us not to worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough worries of its own. He gives us the job of our dreams and then commands us to have absolute integrity in that work. He gives us children and he commands us to teach them and show them everything in his word and says, you're responsible. He causes our children to die and commands us to give thanks in all things. That's the discipline of the Lord. He gives us a spouse and commands wives to submit to their sinful husbands and husbands to lay down their lives for their sinful wives. Both very difficult and selfless tasks. He takes away spouses through death and commands us to find comfort in his presence. He allows us to sin and endure the painful, often lifelong consequences of our sin, just like King David. He keeps us from temptation. He keeps us from it, and then he commands us even to take every thought captive, or it's not really obedience. He gives us tragedies, sudden, sudden deaths of loved ones, and commands us to believe that all things work for the good of those who love God. He gives us peace. He gives us tranquility for a time and then commands us to give it up for his kingdom. You're too at rest. Get to work. And so all these things, I mean, this is just the the tip of the iceberg. All these things are the discipline of the Lord, right? And as we think about later, all of that has a purpose, Now, usually when we are going through something that looks to be God's discipline, we have a tendency to either hate the situation we are in or blow out of the situation we are in. We flee it. We get far away from it. When the Lord tells us not to regard lightly his discipline, we should not react in either of those ways. We should regard heavily, right? Regard heavily the Lord's discipline. Come to understand it as far as we can. Look, look to God in everything that occurs. Seek him in prayer. Persevere through trials, knowing that God is at work. Waiting, waiting patiently for that peaceful fruit of righteousness that follows. Third, <clears throat> the Heavenly Father does not discipline illegitimate bastard children. He does not discipline illegitimate children. There's a sense in which those who are not sons of the Father are ignored by the Father. They're let let to go their own way. They, as we read in Romans 1, are simply given over to their sins. They don't get the come away from your sins. They don't get the discipline to, to pull them away. Whereas the legitimate son is weaned from his sins or disciplined for his sins with that goal in mind, The illegitimate child is free to go on in them, free to continue in their sins. The illegitimate child is not a slave to righteousness. The illegitimate child is a slave to sin. So the illegitimate child is free to go on in them to, in a sense, enjoy his or her sins. As our passage says, if you are without discipline, as all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Now, you may be saying those things you said were disciplined earlier are things everyone on earth deals with. Yes, but those circumstances are not always discipline. 
They're not always disciplined from the Lord. The one who does not respond to such things, as it says in verse 4, by striving against sin, is not receiving discipline. He's just taking life as it comes to him. Right? But the one who can see God's hand in, for example, the death of a child or the loss of a spouse, will allow God to speak in the situation and it will yield fruit. It will lead to holiness. If you find that life is happening around you, right? if life is just happening around you and you do not learn its lessons, do not heed God's discipline. It may be because you are not God's child. Right? You may be the child of some church or other, but you may not be God's child. Fourth, <clears throat> the Heavenly Father's love is demonstrated in His discipline. <clears throat> it's common today to uh, think of spanking as child abuse, right? It's also common today to think that any nose or negativity is going to leave a child depressed and unable to cope with life because his self-esteem will be low and he'll be demoralized. Now, it is true that children can be demoralized by their parents. It's also common today to, to view love as only that which affirms somebody or something, right? It always has to be affirmation. Yet here we learn that those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son he receives. Is that positive? Is that a positive command? Scourges every son he receives. The most unloved child is the child who is not disciplined by his or her parents. Right? That's the unloved child. They may be happy. They may be happy thinking that they can play Fortnite for 18 hours a day, right? And they may think that that's the life, but what it means is that that child is unloved by their mother and father, and they will never have the experience of, of, of fruits coming from discipline, right? <clears throat> Most unloved child is a child who is not disciplined, by his or her parents. Do not care what your child does or thinks or goes after, and your child will know that it is unloved. That's the other thing. They may for a while think they're loved in their autonomy, but eventually they'll realize that my dad and my mom are just self-centered, unloving, good-for-nothings. Right? They will know that they are unloved if they are neglected. Allow your child to go undisciplined and they will have only the guidance of, think of this, if you don't discipline your children, they will only have the guidance of their peers who are as much idiots as they are. Right? Undisciplined. Undisciplined idiots. And I'm, I'm honestly using that word like, like it means right and they'll only be disciplined by them by their peers or they will only be disciplined and it's not real discipline by their appetites that's all that will direct them is their peers and their appetites that's what will determine what they do next and their appetites will destroy them right your appetites almost destroyed you Right? When you were young, your appetites, your appetites now wage war against you, right? 
and you constantly have to be on guard for your appetites. Well, imagine never learning the kind of discipline that allows you to fight those in any way. You're just given over to them. The next thing you do is always what you feel you should do. It will lead to destruction. Love is proven not by ever-present affirmation. Love is proven by discipline, which has as its goal fear and love of love for God. Yes, affirmation, being positive, being kind, being reassuring, being tender, um, will be a part of the discipline of your child. But it can't be to the neglect of all the prohibitions and the no's. Discipline will be affirming those, thing that, those things that God affirms, loves, and prohibits, and you, you will prohibit those things that God prohibits and hates, those things um, that are wicked. Do not do this. And the message sent to the child is, you're on your own. You're on your own. I don't give a rip whether you glorify your creator or not. I don't care whether you live for God or live for yourself. Um, And in the end, they will hear, leave me alone. Don't you see I have enough of my own problems? And their hearts will just shrivel up. Because just as the heavenly father's love is shown through his discipline, so earthly father's love is shown through discipline. Five, we respect our fathers when they discipline us. Conversely, we we lose respect for fathers who do not discipline us. With, With discipline comes respect. Is that true? It seems like when I discipline my children, they just get angry at me. Right, Maggie? Oh, there I go, calling out one of my children. Should never do that. They told me in seminary never to do that. <clears throat> they told me a lot of stupid things in seminary. Um, with discipline should come respect, right? The military is not devoid of respect, and and the whole of it is discipline, right? And and there, it's 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 bound together by respecting superiors, right? Study music. And it is the disciplinarian teacher that garners the most respect. You know, the one who won't let you get away with a single note out of tune by an eighth of a tone, right? Somebody who's very scrupulous, very hard, they have the best students, and they have the most respect. In sports, right, who gets the most respect? What kind of coach? It's the Bill Belichicks who discipline, right? What's that? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Go Browns. Um, and, and, from, and, and even from that respect comes a certain amount of success from it. Why, when it comes to parenting, to fathering, do we think it would be any different? Right? Everywhere else, discipline yields respect. And yet in our homes with our own kids, we, we kind of get sort of like, man, they're not going to like me. They're not going to like me if I discipline them, if I, if I bring discipline. We think we must be friends with our children rather than authorities. Instead of discipline, stern warning, rebuke, setting things straight, that we, you know, that we must let our kids find their way and, and sow their wild oats and that they will eventually settle into the Christian life. Right? This is not the way things work. 
To primarily be a friend to a child is to forsake discipline and inevitably produces the opposite of what friendship was intended to promote. Rather than respect, disrespect is bred when discipline is forsaken. Spanks for younger children, rebukes and nose for older children, and reminders of God's holiness and the reality of hell for adult children. Right will lead to respect, even though anger will always be the initial reaction of discipline. Six, if we respect earthly fathers when they discipline us, we should much more respect the heavenly father for his discipline, and this is our life. So those who go through their life thinking that the only role of the heavenly father is to make things good and soft and cushy, have missed the message of this passage. For the Christian, all of life is not what have I enjoyed and experienced, but how have I glorified God and enjoyed him. Right? All of life should be viewed in this way. How is the Lord at work? What is he teaching? How is he disciplining me? There will be seasons in your life where the discipline of the Lord is heavy on you. Heavy. It hurts. Right? Your body hurts. The losses that you've received make your head spin. They make you want to stay in bed all day long. Right? There will be those seasons when it's very, very clear that the, the hand of the Lord is heavy upon you. Those times are not pleasant, but they become pleasant in retrospect. They become pleasant down the road when we've been trained by them. They become the strength to undergo undergo the next round of discipline and to help others endure through their own discipline. The argument the apostle makes here is that there is a parallel relationship between God and believers and earthly fathers and their children. Open your eyes. Children who are not disciplined by their parents are quite obvious. They set their own course. They are too precious to be told no. They yank their parents around, right? They lead their parents around. You see them in the grocery store demanding that they get the candy bar, right, and throwing fits. Um, That was probably your child that that was doing that as well. Um, It's not always those other children, right? It's our own children. So they set their own course, course and they lead their parents. This will eventually, as we said before, become a complete lack of respect for their parents, or for their fathers particularly. And the only advice we can give to parents with younger children is, well, wait until they're teenagers. Right? God has said, train up a child in the way you should go, and when he is older, he will not depart from it. Any, any um, parent who has teenagers thinks that that is the most difficult verse in the Bible. And I have teenagers And I pray for them that they can receive the discipline of the Lord and yield to it and be happy about it. Rather than relegate that scripture to the pile of myths that aren't true, perhaps some of us should admit that we didn't, did not take the admonition to train up and to discipline seriously enough. And the cheap grace approach is what we took to parenting. <clears throat> Rather than the work of discipline, we just said, Every time our child sinned, we said, God is good and he forgives you. 
rather than saying, no, God will destroy you if you sin against him. Seven, the goal of the Father is that we should be like him. The Father desires for us to be holy as he is holy. Second Peter 1, 2 through 4, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ, seeing that his divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Can we say the same thing about our fatherhood? Or has every message we've given to our children only been, do not be like me? Don't be like me. That can't be the only message that we give to our children. If this is the only message we ever honestly give to our children, we have failed. Admit your failure and begin a life of integrity with your children by showing them repentance and a heart for God through repentance. But but don't always be this, this, oh, I've failed in all ways, don't do as I do sort of father. Have integrity and show them godliness, right? Oh, there'll be times when you have to apologize for your falling short. But if that's all you ever do, do you just want to be a negative example to your children? Right? Don't ever do what your father does. Don't ever say or think what your father does. No, we can't be like that. Don't let, um, don't let, I would even say don't let hypocrisy stop you from starting this discipline with your children, however old they may be. Right? Tell them what's good and right and give them an example, even though you're still fighting it with yourself. Eighth, the Father's discipline is not enjoyable, but it's eternally profitable. Discipline is for strength, just as physical therapy is for mobility and strength. Right? The reason for discipline is not simply punitive. It has as its goal what we mentioned before, holiness, being like God. 2 Corinthians 4, 7-11 through 11 says this, and then 16-18. through 18, But we have this treasure... In earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal bodies. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehension. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal but the things which are not seen are eternal. That verse 17, for momentary light affliction is a producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehension. That includes the discipline of God. That includes the difficulties that come. Now, many of us think that the, the discipline of the Lord, when things uh, come are hard in our lives, that that is not momentary light affliction, but, but like Cain, we complain that, 
his punishment is too great. But Paul here is telling us to, is reminding us to think of it in its true weight, momentary light affliction. And how is it momentary light affliction when we lose a child, when our bank account is gone, when we lose a job, when we're exiled, when, when we suffer these things? The reason it's momentary light affliction is because it's not hell, which is eternal, heavy affliction. Right? Bear up under the discipline of the Lord. It is light. Right? His yoke is easy. His burden is light. It is easy. Right? When your parents discipline you, when your parents discipline you, remember it's not God's wrath upon you in hell. Right? And receive it with thanksgiving. Receive it as it is. Just light fluffiness. Right? It's like that marshmallow stuff, that marshmallow fluff. Right? The discipline of the Lord in relativity. Right? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to be good fathers. The fathers here who have children, the fathers here who have children in the church, the fathers here who, who are authorities in their workplace. Father, we pray that we would father as you father. And Father, we pray that we would remember that you do scourge your sons because you love them. That you don't leave us to our own sins. You don't leave us to our appetites. You don't leave us to our own imagination and thoughts. You don't leave us alone. But you're constantly on us. We thank you for that, Father. We thank you that you are, you care. That you are mindful that we are dust. But you care and discipline us so that we might yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.